Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified, and this will be a very unique program in that the program is going to be about all the things you can do to amplify your life. So yours truly is going to be sharing a little bit about, well, a lot about me, and uh, we're going to share a lot about what we, what you can do to amplify your life. So Andrea, I guess this is kind of a, a different turn. You're going to be reading the bio for me. Well, that's correct. So, everyone, I am so excited to say that Ken Rashawn is going to be interviewed today. He is an accomplished serial entrepreneur. He has established his success with the Umbrella Syndicate, Big Events USA, Perfect Publishing, and Absolute Entertainment. He is a social proof celebrity event photographer, an international keynote speaker, a published author of over 22 books, and he's the forerunner of the nonprofit organization, the Keep Smiling Movement, and a past honoree as America's most influential business connector. What you may not know is this Renaissance man was in his history, he had the distinction of an army officer, a science teacher, as well as being known as the most accomplished world DJ, and he has traveled to 103 countries. Ken's primary focus is support and promotion of great leaders, authors, and speakers, and he reaches about 45,000-plus Facebook users per week, and he helps over 800 Facebook pages grow with amplification with their campaigns and their event strategies. His page has over 100,000 clicks and engagement a week, making it one of the most active social media pages with 947-plus five-star reviews. Spreading love and acceptance with a nonprofit Keep Smiling movement, which doubles as an international marketing strategy for businesses, speakers, and nonprofits. This man is an absolute doll. Ken, welcome to the show. <laughs> so, as we have Ken Rashawn here with us, we also have our sponsors that we want to thank. Our sponsors are Big Events USA, The Umbrella Syndicate. Perfect Publishing, and Absolute Entertainment, a DJ service, and, of course, the Red Carpet Connection. And I'm your co-host, Andrea Adams-Miller. Good. And we got to say the Key Smiling Movement, as well as Voice America. Voice America has been an amazing partner in uh, amplifying our show, and we certainly have a great production team. And three years later, this show is really about partnership, and it's about how you create a host situation that allows you to have a platform that inspires people and gives them great content to improve their life. Absolutely. So, Ken, let's get this show started. So one of the things that people don't know about you is, like, how this all came to be. Like, what was the motivation and the passion that had you, you know, come from the DJ world and enter this new perspective of something new in your life? Well, I'll tell you, I would like to practice something that I've been preaching for the last couple months, and that is the Keep Smiling Movement template. And it's kind of like a TEDx template in that it is designed that you're able to very clearly share your life, your why, 
and your social proof of how you actually are impactful, how you create um, how you create abundance for people. Because when you look at it, if you're doing sales with someone and they're not solving your problem and they're not creating abundance for you and not making your life better, I don't know why you're engaged with them to to hire them or to work with them in the future. So I would like to start off with uh, the first question that we ask in that template, which is tell your story and start from birth to now and talk about some of the challenges you overcame. So um, that could obviously be a long segment and we don't have more than a half hour before the break. So I will exercise uh, the highlights of my life and why they integrate to what is happening now in my life. So first of all, um, I was born in Rhode Island, in Warwick, Rhode Island, at the, uh, that hospital. And I didn't get to stay there very long, two months after I was born, which I wouldn't really remember this, but I was told. I was whisked off to Paris, France, where my dad had one of his first duty assignments. And from that point onward, I moved 13 times and learned how to say make friends and, and say goodbye rather abruptly. Most of the places I stayed at were between nine months and 12 months. So I learned that uh, making friends was uh, something that you really needed to do. And I also experienced a lot of bullying. So I also learned the other side of being the new kid on the block and the fact that if you're not a confident person and you don't uh, you don't stand up for yourself, you could uh, be the victim of the, the person that has possibly more insecurity than you. So that became a, a very important piece in a, a writing that I did much later in my life. And uh, when I finally moved back to the United States, I was 12 years old. I had played soccer for roughly six years in Germany and uh, rose to the, uh, I don't know what they call it, like all-star team. The last couple of years I was playing, uh, I was playing high school, I was playing with the high school soccer players as a grade school, as a sixth grader, a fifth grader, a sixth grader. And I thought my life was going to be soccer. I was quite certain that the three, four hours of playing I did a day was going to lead me to playing professionally. And that was my life. Besides uh, art, because when I was in classrooms, I, I think uh, I was either very bored or I had major attention deficit disorder and I was in trouble a lot. So I was kind of put in a corner and asked to draw. So I, I spent a good portion of my first two or three years of schooling just drawing and not really learning anything but how to draw. And that served me in an interesting way later. Um, when I moved back to the States, I found out that Illinois is not as passionate about soccer as Germany or, <laughs> or the rest of the world. So I went into a, a bit of a, a spill or a, a downward spiral into depression. I was very depressed. I told my dad, I don't care where we move in the, in the world just as long as it has soccer. And my dad said, I just don't know how big soccer is in Illinois. Well, it's not. And uh, I found out moving to a very small town in Illinois, Galesburg, Illinois, 36,000 folks there, uh, that discrimination existed and uh, even ignorance about global thinking. And to give you an idea what that kind of looked like, when they found out I'd come from Germany, I was called a Nazi. And, <laughs> and, wow. and when I was uh, friendly with other races besides my own race, I, I was actually called the N-word. Believe it or not, I was called a uh, an N-loving N-Nazi. Now, think about that for a second, how, okay. how that goes together. So that's that's the ignorance of it on so many levels. So anyway, um, about a year into living there, my dad had mentioned to a, a colleague of his that I 
I, I was not too happy because I don't have soccer. And he says, well, why don't you tell him to come out to the runner's club? And my dad did. And I really didn't have any reason to go. And I also had no reason not to go. So I went and I ran three miles, uh, maybe it was five miles, but whatever it was, I ran it effortlessly. And the cross-country coach said, I'd like you to come out for the team. Um, I don't know if there were necessarily tryouts, but I quickly went to the top running position on the JV squad. And the following year, I went to the top position in my uh, in my junior year and was told that I was going to be uh, the captain of the team. Well, my dad got his next duty assignment, and he also went through a very, very tough uh tough thing he he was a riff which is reduction in force he did not make it from the major to colonel's list so he took a massive pay cut but in the massive pay cut he decided that he would want to ride out his last three years and take any duty assignment that he could get to to do those last three years so he got to get a, a much junior rank of warrant officer but he got to work at um uh, nsa national security agency in fort meade maryland and i was given the option of going there for my senior year or staying in Galesburg, Illinois, and being the captain of the uh, cross-country team, the captain of the track team, as well as I had uh, won two art grants uh, to college already in Illinois. So it was, I had an offer to live with my art teacher and an offer to live with my uh, coach, my cross-country coach. And it was really a very tough decision. But when it really came down to it, I love my family, and I didn't make sense to be away from them. So I decided to come to Maryland, and I trained hard. And in training hard, I I kind of end up achieving both those things. I got an art grant to uh, a financial art grant to college, and I also ended up being uh, the only male to go to state three times that year from Mead High School. And Mead is, is a very competitive school. It's uh, it was state uh, qualifier in typically football, track, uh, basketball. It was very very active. It had a great pool of inner city kids from Baltimore, and it had an amazing uh, talent of of military uh, children. So. Really phenomenal. And that's all very important because it helped me make some decisions about college and what I was going to do. Because at 18, I decided I wanted to be a, a business person. I moved to Maryland, and the first thing I thought was, man, there's so much opportunity here. And in just reading, I guess, one of my favorite books and getting rather in-depth with Mark Twain, I saw the Tom Sawyer effect, as it were, come to life and I started two businesses. I started a DJ business at age 18 and I started a graphic uh, graphic and illustration business at age 18. Two businesses right out of the gate and I don't know if I would have done that in Illinois but here it made sense. I saw so much opportunity, so much abundance and in the wonderful state of Maryland uh, we have pretty regularly four counties in the top, uh, the top 10 in the United States. Four counties in the top 10 for abundance and that's rated on typically the unemployment factor, the average income, and how the house values uh, hold up. And that's because Maryland is right next to D.C., which pours just tons of government money into that, into that state. So I became an entrepreneur, and I read two or three books after my, my uncle told me, hey, if you're an entrepreneur, I, I am a consultant for a lot of businesses. Why don't you read the E-Myth, and he sent me a copy of the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. So imagine an 18-year-old getting that copy and reading it and devouring it. And then a friend of mine who also decided to start a DJ business, and we were not working together at that time, his name's Tim Brown, he recommended Swim with the Sharks um, by Harvey McKay. And we would recommend books to each other. 
And those two books served me extremely well. I did read A Thing Grow Rich soon after that because I got into the personal development space pretty heavy duty. And I started listening to the tapes. I even got into an MLM Herbalife back at uh, age 19 because of passive income being uh, a new principle I had learned in my life. So although I did rather well with Herbalife, it certainly wasn't my passion. So I, I dropped it and let it pay for the college it paid for. But um, in doing that, I learned how important sales were. I, I loved marketing. And my DJ business, the first year, I mean, I could almost retire on the $1,600 I made. So I made $1,600 and I worked all the time. And I made it a principle that I was going to be the best DJ in Maryland. And I think that's one of the most important things I learned in from my dad is he said, if you're going to do anything in life, do it to the best of your ability. It doesn't matter what it is, but do it to the best of your ability. And so when I was a, a runner or as a soccer player, no matter what I've done in my life, I've always said I will do it to the best of my ability. The other thing he taught me was the, uh, the most valuable asset you have in your life is your character. And he taught me that. Very soon after I was caught shoplifting in Germany, uh, some Reese candy bar or something like that, and then I decided to go around too with him by getting into a movie theater for free. And in both cases, I was uh, embarrassed at, at the highest level because my dad made me go to the, the store that I stole the candy bar, give it back, and he made me uh, go and pay for the ticket out of my allowance for, at the movie theater. And he said to me, that your character is the only thing that you truly have that's an asset. Everything can come and go, but your character is completely uh, yours, and you decide what, how valuable it's going to be. So that became a very important part of my business decisions, is I would never, ever do business with someone where I couldn't stand behind what I was saying to them, and I would never, ever have them regret that they did business with me. So our practice at Absolute Entertainment, which was not necessarily called that at that time, it was called Kajari Sounds uh, for my initials. And I soon found out that that sounded too Japanese and that everyone thought it was a Japanese DJ company, so I, I renamed <laughs> it Absolute Entertainment. And uh, th that's a story in itself, but I'll just say that our policy right from the get-go is if someone wasn't happy, they decided how much they wanted back, and it did not matter what they said, whatever they said they were given that money back. That way, it was clean. It was always clean business. And um, when I needed to change the name, I actually asked my mom. I said, well, I asked, my mom and dad are both wordsmiths. And so my mom being a uh, English teacher, history major, uh, reading, uh, master's in reading, and a master's education, she, I, I posed the question to both of them. And my dad, a speechwriter, uh, one of those guys that if he does a crossword puzzle, he can knock it out in a minute. I mean, it's insane how how good he is with his vocabulary. So I said, I would like to rename my DJ company and I want a name that means complete and pure and complete meaning that I could play any music someone wanted to hear and pure from a standpoint that it has integrity. You can see uh, you could see the books. You could, do, you could do anything you wanted and you'd see truth. And my mom, in two seconds, maybe it was even one second, she said, Absolute. Absolute. And I said, oh my gosh, I love it. And that's kind of been, in a way, the story of my life with brands. I think of brands very quickly because I ask what that brand needs to, uh, to mean, what it needs to signify. And so Absolute Entertainment was born. And we have probably more, I think we have more reviews by almost double than any other company. And there's over 350 companies that I know of that are registered in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. And my dad, uh, was not a great business person, so I did not uh, always learn great business lessons from him. For instance, he says, Ken, I don't know if you're really going to 
enjoy DJing, so why don't you buy some inexpensive equipment and find out if you like it before you go investing heavy duty. And I spent very, very hard-earned money, and I think I had a little credit card and, and bought a really cheap DJ system for about, I don't know, $1,500 or something like that, and it broke almost immediately. <laughs> and so I had to well, I had to repurchase all the equipment, state-of-the-art equipment, and from that point on, I never looked back. I never, ever bought equipment that wasn't the best equipment because if you're going to be the best, um, and, I, and when I opened up the, the Umbrella Syndicate, same exact principle, I said, what is the best camera equipment? And it hurt. I mean, it hurt so bad to put $20,000 on my credit card. It was not a position I was in. Um, and that, that part of the story is going to come up in a little while. But it, it was so important that I bought the best equipment. And here it is. 35 years later, I just uh, I do events uh, still every month. I still enjoy it. And uh, I still put my heart in it. But to uh, to move to, I guess, this the part of the challenge is I did have an embezzlement happened uh, some 10 years into my business. And I, I, I lost almost the business. Uh, it took me three years to rebuild it. And I really learned a lot about accountability. I learned a lot about making sure the books are right and that you have uh, checking systems. You don't just have one person doing the deposits and writing the checks and having that much control of the money. I, I lost over $150,000 in that transaction and, uh, and was never really able to get that back in any way, shape, or form. And then the second, uh, the, the second obstacle I had was uh, when I, uh, shortly after my mom passed, and uh, I'll go into that a little later, but I, I made a, a decision that I was going to open up a company because I saw what Facebook was doing, and I opened up a company called Perfect Networker. And getting into a space you know nothing about but are passionate about is probably going to be a financial disaster. So I put uh, over a three-year period of time, roughly 150000 of my own money into that company, and it was just a money pit. And so I had to finally close it down, and it was very tough because I had never quit anything and my dad was just adamant when I was a, a kid. He says, don't ever quit. And he, he, he kind of said things to me that were very, I, I wouldn't call them ultimatum-ish, but they were very big rules for him. So if I didn't follow him, I felt like I would lose the grace of my father, which was never actually true in the end, but it's what I believed. So he said, um, he said to me about uh, the age of 13 when I was in Illinois and I was very depressed and acting kind of wacky. He says, are you doing drugs? And I said, no, I'm not doing drugs. And he says, well, you act like it. And I said, well, I may be acting like it, but I'm not doing the drugs. And he says, well, I, wanna, I want you to promise me you're never going to do drugs. And little did he know, I was hanging around with almost all the people, my, my cross-country friends, my, uh, my church friends. I mean, these were really good kids. They were all doing weed. They were all doing some kind of drugs. They were doing quaaludes. I mean, it was it, it was very big party scene in Galesburg, ironically. And so I just never did it. And I was making a big decision at some point to try it, but I didn't know when I was going to try it. So my dad says, I want you to promise me you will not try drugs as long as you're under my roof. And I said, I, Dad, I don't know. I, want to, I do want to try them. He goes, you can try them. Just don't do it while you're under my roof. I'm an Army officer. I pay the price for your decisions. And uh, when you're an adult and you're on your own, I can't stop you from trying it. So I told him I would, uh, I would abide by that. And he says, no, I want you to actually state the promise as a complete promise. So I restated, Dad, I promise I will not do drugs while I'm under your roof. He says, great. Now that you've promised me that, if you lie about that, I'll never trust you again. And so to this day, I have not done drugs. To this day, I've never tried a cigarette. He never told me I couldn't drink beer, so I did drink beer, and uh, I enjoyed that. <laughs> so um, I guess the part I'd like to tell you that caused really this Voice America experience and our partnership uh, is that when my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a uh, – it was – 
I guess it made sense because my mom was acting different. She was forgetting things and Alzheimer's is just a vicious disease, but it's really uh, even more vicious when the person's young. So my mom was diagnosed at 61. At age 61, she was diagnosed with, uh, f- I think it was fourth degree dementia, uh, fourth stage, I'm sorry, fourth stage dementia, which means that you're going to fall out, you're going to lose your mind a lot quicker. And um, my dad and I were <clears throat> not best of buds when I was young. I was, uh, I needed a lot of discipline because I, I was rather hyperactive and wild and my brother and sister were very very good so I really got the focus of the discipline and they really enjoyed learning from it and staying very good so my dad and I my dad and I did not get along that well <clears throat> most of my teenage years I was very rebellious and the reason I share this is because it was ironic that when my dad chose to leave uh, take a leave of absence from uh, his very awesome job at National Security Agency he he was rehired after his 3 years and got a very beautiful position um, he met my mom when he was 16, and in meeting him when they were 16, it was kind of like The Notebook. It's about the closest thing you could come to that movie being a true story. They they, were, they dated uh, right out of the uh, gate when they met, first dates. Uh, I think it was even before 16, it was 15, and they've been together their entire life. So when my mom was diagnosed, he did not trust anyone to take care of my mom, and he decided he was going to go on a leave of absence and take care of her. To the end, which ended up being three years. My mom was extremely strong physically, but my dad um, was not wavering on this. So he chose to do this on his own. And when I saw that love and I saw that commitment, I was committed to my mom as well. And I realized that my dad really was there for me my entire life. And I decided to be there for him for once. And so um, I took a leave of absence from from DJing, I, I told the company, hey, you guys got to figure this out while I help my dad. And every morning at 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, I, I help my dad uh, every afternoon and every evening till about uh, roughly 10 or 11. So I came by the house three times a day and helped my mom and my dad for three years. And one thing I realized out of that, besides the fact that life is precious, is I learned that you really, your family is everything. Your, your relationships are everything. And when I lost my mom in 2008, I asked God what that meant. And for me, what it meant was that I had to redefine my life. I had to choose a life that was going to uh, be a tribute to my mom, most importantly, and also uh, a tribute to God. And uh, it, my life is a result of both of them. So I was in a, a very big quest to find a purpose-driven life. And it's interesting, but the word that came out of it, and I had to keep working on his word, but the word was amplified. That is a kind of a marketing term. And it if you have great content in the world and you don't have great distribution, your message will never be known. And it's really considered a secret. And the worst thing you could ever have in business is being a secret because no one will know to hire you. They don't want to find you. They don't even know you exist. So I decided that my life was going to be about amplifying. And later after I met Barry Shore, some three years later, I realized that it was not just amplifying, it was amplifying goodness. And then it finally resonated at that point. And Barry Shore was an extremely, extremely important person in my life. I met him, and it is probably one of my very unique experiences of seeing almost uh, sainthood in a human. Because I went into a room, and I I, I still remember to this day, it was in March of 2015, I was literally pushed back by an energy force and I looked around the room and I see this guy with a staff and he's sitting down and he's looking at me and I walk right towards him and he hands me a keep smiling card and 
I was so blown away by the tonality of his voice, his presence, his eyes, and I just wanted more. So I decided that I would, uh, I would ask him some questions. And 45 minutes later, I said, I'm calling you next week. And I called him the first day I got back from CO Space, and I asked him, uh, I had already asked him while I, when I met him, what are you doing this for? And he says, to remind people to smile, to remind people uh, that life is about positivity. And I said, well, do you have a social media page? Do you have a social media movement? What do you do with these cards? You just hand them out? And all the questions uh, were very, very simple answers. They were, he just says, I just hand them to everybody. And I said, so you don't take pictures. You don't, you don't have a movement. You don't use social media. And he says, no, no, and no. So I said, that is why... I'm supposed to meet you. So I asked him to make me a bunch of cards, and he offered to make me, I think, ten or 20000 I said, I think I'll need more than that for what I envision I'm going to be doing with you. And he asked, would 50000 do it? And I said, no, more than that. And he and I, I told him 100000 And he said, sure, I'll send you 100,000 cards. He sent me 42 boxes. And off to the races, I went with the Keep Smiling cards. And all this helped me define my why. And my why is that when I can help people that are good leaders uh, be influential, uh, good authors to have their book known, heard, and inspire the world, and just good people to realize that they're powerful and that the more amplified they get on their goodness, the more they become a leader and have that impact in the world. So that was a a bit of a, a long answer to a question, but I think that answers possibly some other questions you would add about who I am and why I do what I do. Well, it's an absolutely beautiful story that um, while I've heard some of it, I've, I've not heard that all. And I'm, I know that it will impact many people by you sharing those things today. And there's a couple things I'd like you to um, elaborate on. And one of them is we've had discussions about music and there's something about music that you've shared um, and, and why it was so important to you. And then that led us to come up with a definition of the of what a smile means. And I wondered if you'd go over that and the distinction between um, a smile and music and how they're similar at the same time. Well, gosh, I wasn't prepared for that question. But yes, music is the universal language. And I actually ended up traveling to 100 plus countries because I had outgrown every single thing you could do with music. So I said, the next thing I can do is become a a world DJ, a global DJ. And what that meant in the DC area was that this is a melting pot of almost every nationality you can imagine. So I had already done everything I could in the American market. So for the last uh, 15 years of my career, I focused on getting to countries with an empty suitcase and bringing back music from that country. And I assure you, Bringing back music from another country is a lot different than shopping on iTunes. You are getting the real <laughs> stuff, and you're getting you're getting the real uh, the real culture. So I went to every country and came back and um, started surprising people. And uh, beyond that, I went uh, back to college after my um, after my mom passed, and I decided that I was going to take uh, every language for every place I was going to travel and. Uh, some of that was before my mom because I was inspired to do this uh, as a DJ too. So I took uh, languages for the countries I was going to go to and I ended up taking 12 or 13 languages which came into play later to become a book called Making Friends Around the World. But that's the universal language is music and I love the fact that music brings the world together. And when you think about my uh, bullying and you think about um, people not understanding other people because they haven't been to that country or they're just different and they're afraid of that difference – 
music has been a real solution to breaking down those barriers. And then the second thing is the smile. And I just saw a video recently, and the video said the fi- uh, most pleasing five-letter word in, in the English language. And it is smile, S-M-I-L-E. And I will make sure a link is available for that particular video to accompany this because I think that video has some very important messages. And one of the messages he says in the video is that if you have a problem in life, or his question is, if you have a problem, do you have a solution for it? And if the answer is yes, then why worry? If you don't have a solution for it, then there's, and there's nothing you can do about it, then why worry? And if you have a, if you, uh, have a solution for it. It's three questions, and they all lead to not worrying. And I love that part of the video because so many people are worrying, and there's so many people are not having peace of mind. And it actually disrupts the universe and your ability to actually focus on attracting abundance in the world. So I think this key smiling, uh, which is the universal expression, the smile is the universal expression, is what the key smiling movement's about. It's what Barry Shore uh, was sending to me and what I received and what I hope to be doing, not just with the card, but also with the books, because the books have, to me, become a solution to cover every single aspect I wanted in life, which is, if you live a great life, does the world know it and can the world support it? Secondly, when you leave this beautiful planet, what did you leave behind that can inspire people? What did you download from your heart and your mind that can be a legacy? So the Key Smiling book has become this very concise as long as this radio show is, is as long as it takes to do a Keep Smiling chapter. You talk about your journey, you talk about how you discovered your why, and you talk about how you uh, create abundance, solve problems, and inspire smiles. And I think we're going to break soon so we can talk about all that stuff in the second segment. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ken, for sharing everything you have. And we'll be back right after these messages. But first, we got to say who the sponsors are because the sponsors make this show happen. And we're going to start with Voice America first because Voice America has believed in this show for three years. And uh, that has been really important because the show has evolved so much. And uh, Absolute Entertainment has been a lot of the bread and butter that helps get us on the road and keep the Key Smiling movement alive. Uh, the Red Carpet Connection has been a way of actually opening doors to celebrities and influencers. And uh, Big Events USA has guided us to the top 1% events and also thinking about where the top 1% events are. And of course, the Keep Smiling movement has been the card that has been embraced by so many people because when they hold that card up, they reflect on love and they reflect on something that's so important in their life. And it's typically the picture they choose for their social media. So those are our sponsors and we couldn't do it without them. We'll be back in a couple minutes. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. 
My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save 20 bucks today with coupon code VAH639 at Freshly.com. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Well, now I know how the guests feel when we're telling them they only have one segment to tell their life story and all the other things they want to give as contributions and content. So we are at a shorter second segment, and we have rapid fire to do. So the first segment we covered mainly how the template works for Keep Smiling, the journey, the obstacles you have to overcome, and how you discover your why. The third part, unfortunately, a shorter part than the first, is uh, going to be saved for the second segment. So again, our uh, sponsors are Big Events USA, Apps Entertainment, Keep Smiling Movement, the Red Carpet Connection, and of course the Umbrella Syndicate. So um, I will turn it back over to you, Andrea. Well, um, so one of the things that you know you had mentioned earlier was talking and sharing with people about how we met. Um, d- did you want to start how you first uh, came to be on the Internet Marketers Cruise and how I came to meet you? Actually. Um, we will. I'll, I'll skip that for me. Why don't you talk about your experience? Because let's make this segment more about how, when we go to events, how we work together as a team, how we work together as strategic partners. So I'm going to pass that to you on two levels. First of all, um, how our how we first met, and and you can give some bit of an interpretation of how that evolved. And then also after that, I'll I'll be asking you to share which okay. you share the best about Barry Shore. All right. Awesome. All right. So, um, so Ken and I met on an internet marketers cruise. So, um, how it came to pass is that I travel a lot as a publicist and I have another business, um, as well, a dating and relationship business. And I was still doing that and was traveling quite a bit to conferences all over the world. And, um, I met Ken Rashawn. I didn't actually meet him or talk to him on the first internet marketers cruise that I can recall. And I don't believe I ever had my picture taken. Uh, we'll have to go back and look sometime. However, um, I did 
become known to him through uh, social media and through the Internet Marketers Cruise um, group chat. And um, I noticed that you had something going on in relation to uh, DJing and photographs. And it was a controversy about um, having the freedom to capture love. And it really inspired me that it was something that you stood for and you were publicly uh, discussing because you could tell that it created some angst for you because as a DJ, um, you had done a gift to take some pictures. And I was really impressed with that. And you got some pushback from the um, people who who were hired for the photography for that um, incident. And uh, the way you discussed and shared that pushback led me to reach out to you on social media. And that's where our conversation started, where I saw you as this person who was very passionate and very moved by a lot of things. And that's when I started following you and noticed the other things about the Keep Smiling movement and saw all the beautiful pictures that you were taking. And I wanted to get to know you better. Well, it turns out then over the course of that year, we were running into each other at every event. So we were very aligned with the way we think about um, how you need to be out there in the world and you need to show up and be present. You need to be an international speaker. You need to be able to publish books. And you and I had all these things in alignment that led us to be able to create this beautiful friendship and eventually became a great partnership where we're able to overlap and do so many great things. And that's what initially drew me to you was your passion and excitement for things. Well, I'll respond to that by saying that um, it's interesting that photography has always been a hobby of mine, and it is the only thing that allows me to really show my creative side, because if you think about the DJing, that is definitely a creative approach to create mood, and it's very powerful, but when I uh, when I created my purpose-driven life, the DJing didn't make sense. It was really um, a one-and-done kind of thing. You do a wedding, and and you, you don't really typically build from that. Whereas publishing, that makes such a difference to me. It, it is inspiring people to download their heart and their mind. It's helping them make a marketing tool. It's helping them share their story, which is probably the most important thing people can do. And what we're doing in this particular program. But uh, it, what I find interesting is that camera technically got me in trouble. And there's a lot of people that when you get in trouble and things are not working out, you kind of go into a hole or you say you're wrong and you know there's a lot of things in this world that have happened to people that started something new and it's not wrong it's just different and it's not accepted yet so i was uh i was saying to people that social media is a different animal and i had been studying it since almost uh, 2000 yeah 2006 and i was watching and social media requires photography it requires videography so it's not about whether you're a photographer or videographer it's that you need it to market you cannot just put posts with text so as a dj creating these amazing events and having people go nuts at these events i didn't know any other way to show that than with a photo and i didn't want to do video so i took pictures and it it caused like you said, uh, a, a bit of a pushback, a lot of misunderstandings, and I got national attention. I think it was one of the biggest Forbes articles uh, that they had done um, in a long time. They said if a thousand to two thousand people view your article, uh, view the article you're interviewed for, you're doing great. Well, we were eighty-six thousand people uh, viewed that article, and I decided to turn it into a movement before I had uh, the Keep Smiling movement. And the movement was freedom to capture love. Anybody that is doing an event should be able to capture what they experience and use it for social media. And that was my argument. And 
I actually love photographers. I, I the, my favorite people in the world are probably photographers, and so it's really funny that that was uh, the, the pushback I was getting is that photographers were misunderstanding that I was using uh, the camera to photograph them. Even I was using the camera to share the entire experience. And what was the irony of it all is that a photographer was the only person at the event that wasn't actually creating anything. They were actually capturing what was created. So right. if I couldn't capture what I was creating as a DJ, I felt like I had my hands tied and I would never be able to tell my story of what I loved and what I saw when I DJed and, and got the crowd full. And, you know, I'll just give an epiphany that I had about DJing only a, probably four or five years ago when I decided to write a book. It was six years ago when I decided to write my uh, book about DJing. It was called The Absolute Spin. And it was, you think a DJ is hired because of their personality. And I don't think it is because most of the compliments I got as five-star reviews were, I didn't know he was there. That's crazy. So I'm doing an elegant event. The floor is going crazy. Everyone's there. They're sweating. The shirts, dresses, everyone's sweaty. And I wasn't noticed because I focused my energy on getting the, the floor to move without it being about me. And so I realized in the epiphany that a DJ is hired to have people forget about time. And that's mm-hmm. pretty that's a pretty crazy leap from what you think a DJ is there for. So if a DJ is exceptional at having people forget about time, guess what happens? Time disappears and everyone says, you're kidding me, it's over? That's when you know you have a great DJ. So I learned that. But I also learned the power of photography and this capture of love and what a movement, uh, how important a movement was. If, I, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have probably jumped in the CEO space. I wouldn't have jumped into the marketers cruise. I had to go national. I had to get bigger because in my own pond, the, the thinking was not aligned with photography and marketing being separate or photography and marketing working in concert together. So I, uh, I, had, to, I had to go to bigger thinkers. And now that I'm back here, ironically, I have – it's the 24th or 25th Keep Smiling book is coming out. And it is the photography and videography edition. It's all the people that do camera work and have held a Keep Smiling card and that I honored them because they capture smiles, they create smiles, they inspire smiles. So it's just kind of a neat full circle. And, you know, there's a lot of things in life that happen that you get pushed back and you have to make a decision – Am I committed? Um, and what am I going to do about that commitment? So I'll give you one example. My first book I did was when my mom had Alzheimer's and my dad was taking care, uh, had just finished taking care. So while I'm writing this book uh, in Designing My Purpose Driven Life, I read a book about how important it is to take a connection and turn it into something beautiful. And it was inspired by a book I read by Bob Berg, Bob Berg's Go-Giver was a, a commitment and decision I made to live one whole life where I would actually give back to people and not worry one bit about what I got out of it. And so <clears throat> it was an unconditional giving comment. And that book cost me, and I lost over $20,000 because my mom, who is a, a reading uh, and history and master's in basically English language, and my dad, who was a speechwriter, were not available to help me do the book. So I did the book with all kinds of errors, all kinds of embarrassments and um, grammatical errors. All of it was fixable with some editing, but it was it was it sold eight thousand books after I fixed everything. But it was really, really a tough hit to put that much money into a book and make all those bad decisions. And I got that book back and it was called Becoming the Perfect Networker, Succeeding One Connection at a Time. 
And when you think about that succeeding one connection at a time, it means that when you meet somebody, what are you going to do with that meeting? Are you going to just have it as a business card, put it in a Rolodex, put it in a, uh, a sales funnel, or are you going to do something to contribute to their life? And I decided that I would always meet people, and, and if, I focused on, if I focused on them, that something beautiful would come out of it. So it's interesting that that, that disaster of a first edition of that book and the successful second, third, fourth, and fifth editions of that book actually put me on the map and got me all these perfect publishing uh, agreements. Uh, people said, hey, your, your book is so alive. I'd like you to talk to me about publishing. And you think about it, the reason that books fail, and it's in the high 90s, it's like 97% of books fail because they don't have a marketing um, budget, they don't have a marketing concept, they don't have a social media campaign, they, they just really don't think about it. And just like I came up with an epiphany for my DJ, and I came up with an epiphany for why books fail. Most people do a book, and I'm talking about when they do it, because 85% of professionals want to do a book, but only 1% actually get it done. The 1% that get it done, they treat that book as a bucket list, and they check off book done, and it would be honestly like saying, I want to have a child. Okay, child done. And if you could imagine having that check off that your child is done, that would mean that your child would actually die, just like your book dies. So when you feed a child, you nourish a child, you give a child love, that's exactly the same experience a book should receive. It should be nourished with uh, attention. It should be given a marketing budget. It should be brought to all your events. It should be something you're so proud of. And if you change how you look at your book, as almost birthing you and that you're going to take care of it so it takes care of you. It is amazing what a transformation you will have, what a transformation the book will have on your life. And so every single one of my books, I, I, this program is very, uh, very important to me because I have designed a folder that is called Gifts and I am committed that I'm going to give every one of my books away to people that care about reading, care about becoming a better leader, a better networker, a better salesperson, a better marketer, um, a better smiler, a better influencer, whatever they want to do. I have uh, an arsenal of books. Uh, I would say it's well over 25 books that I have put into PDF ebook. And if you want to go to Facebook and look me up, Ken Roshan, I have several accounts, so beware. Uh, but you can go to the Umbrella Syndicate to make it a little easier and just post message or you can ken at the ken at the email and if you ask for specific books whether it be um humor books travel books i told the secret of how to get to 100 countries i wrote a little book that fits in your back pocket that shows you the secret to get to 100 countries if you ever desire to have a bucket list type book so i uh, i want to turn that back to you because if you give a shorter version because i want to go to rapid fire of i guess barry shore because Barry Shore, the way I described him, if you'll just give a quick like one minute of what he did to actually have you be enrolled to help me with this Keep Smiling movement. Absolutely. Um, in eighth grade, my aunt used to cover her mouth to smile because she was embarrassed of her smile. And when I met Ken and Barry Shore and the concept of the Keep Smiling movement, it really drove me because it was the passion I always had to do something in regard to smiling so that people felt really beautiful and positive about their imperfect smile, which I found in Ken's pictures. The ones that are the most beautiful are the ones that are imperfect rather than the people who have perfect teeth. Anyhow, Barry Shore, when I met him and learned his story, see, Barry one day was walking around perfectly fine, and by nightfall, he was a complete complete 
quadriplegic. He had Guillain Barre syndrome and had no symptoms previously to let him know this autoimmune disease would completely take him down. In four years, he spent flat on his back in a hospital. And what he found over those four years is that even though he was so despondent and so miserably sad, he had his rabbi come and give him this card that said smile. And it made him realize that when he smiled and he was friendly with the doctors and nurses, they just lit up. And what he noticed is that not only were his own healthcare people coming into his room, but other people from the hospital were coming into his room for inspiration and love and motivation for their day. Soon what ended up happening is it was like the entire standards of care in that entire hospital setting improved. It was like the biopsychosocial factors of this smile of this wonderful man impressed everybody in that whole environment. And that's what allowed him in his mindset to overcome his disorder. And he spent the next four years in a wheelchair learning how to walk again where now he's ambulatory and he swims a mile or two every day and he's this wonderful bombastic fun loving man who gives out inspirational stories every day and that's what enrolled me into the keep smiling movement how could I not fall in love with this man and the purpose to do something that meant something to me since I was 14 years old and that is to put a smile on people's faces and not only for the moment but to create this legacy that the books are creating and by the collaboration that Ken and I are making with other people and other organizations to do more than a smile in a moment but to create a smile for a lifetime and to record the stories and that's what's so beautiful about the Keep Smiling movement and I want to just add that Barry was in pain to see other people that were not as abundant as he was that did not have wheelchairs and were not mobile and could not afford to become mobile. And he was gracious enough to make some contributions to change their life. But he said, I can't change the entire world uh, with this mobility issue. So I would like to go to the drawing board and come up with something that doesn't cost people any money, but allows people to give to what they believe in. And so he came up with an app called Delighted. And we will put a link to that app underneath this show and we'll include it in every single um, document that actually has the show attached to it. But Delighted is the best gift you could give yourself and the purpose-driven life you're designing and the the passion you have for curing something. So if you imagine you go to Amazon, Southwest, Starbucks, whatever you're doing, if you use this app to buy the digital gift cards, you can use these cards and you're getting 25 to 5% towards your, um, your, your purpose or your organization or the, whatever you want to actually change in the world. And I didn't mention this in the first segment, but Gandhi's quote of be the change you want to see in the world was what hit me the hardest when my mom passed. And when I had that quote become the quote that I live by, I decided every single day that and every single time I got on stage that that is what I'm creating in the world is what I want to see in the world. The, um, the second thing I saw when I saw a speaker, his name was Scott Stratton. He was sitting in a chair, white T-shirt, blue jeans. And I saw on his left arm, inner, inner forearm, I saw a quote, and I took my zoom lens, and I zoomed into his arm. And I saw another quote by Gandhi that just absolutely riveted me. And it was, it said, your life is your message. And those two quotes together uh, have really defined how I choose to live my life is – make my message so strong that my life is my message and make my life so strong that my message is clear. So anyone that's listening to this and you're thinking, I don't know if I can do this. Well, 
I'm going to tell you that with this template, you can write your story. Whether you choose to publish it is your choice. And it doesn't take a lot of money to publish an, uh, an ebook. So if you are interested in sharing your story, I will tell you the two things I'm noticing that amplify goodness the best in the world. And that is your ability to tell your story that inspires people to work with you, learn about you more, and just trust you. And the th second thing is how you prove that you are actually creating abundance, solving problems. That's your social proof. If you want a template so you can write your story, literally, no obligation, you can do this on your own. It's a great it's a great exercise. It's like a TEDx exercise. But if you choose to want your story to be amplified, we would love to talk to you. If you're a leader, a person who wants to be a leader, a person who wants to make a difference in the world, this book is the best vehicle I've ever seen. I've studied marketing for a very long time. Um, I would say well over 30,000 hours. And I do want to make sure I, I hit a very important point because – my co-host here, Andrea Adams-Miller from the Red Carpet Connection, has made this show better. And having a publicist in my life has been really a game changer. And I want to share a quote that I started addressing life with shortly after my mom passed. And that was about what it takes to have a partnership, what it takes to have a successful partnership, and what it takes to have a successful partnership that grows. So we all know that when partners come together. It's typically because one has a weakness and another has a weakness and those strengths are coming together. And until those strengths are fulfilled, the partnership is kind of like a take type situation and the, and the, uh, the partnership dissolves. So I came up with this really neat definition in studying Bob Berg and a lot of other dynamics of relationships and landmark education that to me, and this is my quote, my philosophy, the secret to a successful partnership is to create competitive unconditional giving. And I say that because those three parts to the successful partnership are absolutely essential. If you're not in a competitive uh, conversation with your partner to get better and to be better, then you are actually holding the partnership back. And if it's not unconditional and that you are there for the partner, even when the partner is not there for themselves or the partnership, then you have the wrong attitude. And the giving is the deposits. It's the continuation of making sure that the, the, partnership is being nourished just like I alluded to earlier with the book. So I believe we're getting kind of closer in time. So I think we'll go to rapid fire and we will actually play by the rules. So Andrea, a book that changed your life. Um, the book that changed my life was The Giving Tree and uh, the Where the Sidewalk Ends. Okay. And I'm not, I'm going to pass on that because I've already shared my books. Andrea, uh, you said a book that uh, changed your life that I wrote that causes people to laugh. Go ahead and share that. Oh, well, that's the one that makes me happiest. The No Nonsense book on nonsense. I give that to everybody and quote from it all the time. And that is available also if you would like to laugh every single day. So we are in our final minute. I'll go with um, the quotes I've already shared. Uh, we're actually just shared the Gandhi quotes. You want to share your quote very quickly? Um, it's actually mine. If you don't quench the fire in your heart, you're destined to burn forever. So I hope you enjoyed this program. This program was quite different in that we finally are telling our story and our commitment to amplify the goodness in your life, to help you become published, to be a legacy, and to have influence in the world. Again, our sponsors are Absolute Entertainment here in the DMV, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, uh, Big Events USA. If you want to know where the top 1% events are, go to BigEventsUSA.com. The Umbrella Syndicate, the Keep Smiling Movement, and of course, the Red Carpet Connection that is the co-host and also the person that brings all these wonderful guests to the show. So I hope you enjoyed Amplified and make sure your life is amplified. We're here to help and we're committed to doing so. See you next week. We 
We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go get your message heard.